knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals and I am Colleen and I have my co-host Ashley here and this will be Ashley's last week for a little bit. We're not sure how long because uh, she's going to have a baby and we don't know for sure when she's going to have the baby. <laughs> yeah. Anytime now. <laughs> Anytime now. I'm ready when he is. <laughs> we're we're so, so excited. I am so excited for you and little boys are so much fun. Mm. So uh, someone, someone on Twitter you said I was going on maternity leave from the podcast, right? And someone on Twitter was like, maternity leave, is that a thing for podcasts? <laughs> and I joke, I say, yeah, we have really good benefits. That's right. <laughs> They're really great. So yeah, taking a nice long yes. maternity leave. <laughs> uh, we're, we're actually creating maternity leave for podcasters. Maybe yeah. The first ones to do this. Well, that, speaking of Twitter... Ashley doesn't know what I'm going to talk about right now. So she's going to be completely because she's kind of been off social media. So she's missed some of the hype or hasn't been spending a lot of time on there. And so yesterday on Twitter, uh, somebody posted out this conference that is coming up and it's called the Revoice Conference. I had never heard of it before. Uh, you can actually go to Revoice. It's R-E-V-O-I-S. CE.us if you want to find out what it's about. But the basic description, if you go on the website, says supporting, encouraging, and empowering gay, lesbian, same-sex attracted, and other LGBT Christians so they can experience the life-giving character of the historic Christian tr tradition. And so the reason why some people were up in arms is because it's um, being held and hosted by a PCA church. So based on that description, people were saying, what is going on? This is a PCA church. And so there was a lot of speculation and, and whatnot. And I went on the website and, you know, some things I could tell, but I really had a lot of questions. So I decided to message the pastor of Memorial PCA, or I mean, where the conference is being held. And he was very, very gracious. He really answered all of my questions. And 
and his name is Greg Johnson. And then he also had me talk with Nate Collins, who's the president and founder of Revoice. And since it's been out there, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what they are, what they are not, just really quickly, because there's a lot of people in our circles that are talking about it. And I just wanted to quote one thing that the pastor uh, said to me in his response. He said, we're hosting the Revoice Conference this summer, which is the first in what may become an annual event. The keynote speaker is Dr. Wes Hill, professor of Trinity School for Ministry, the Anglican Seminary founded by John Stott and J.I. Packer. Wes is author of Spiritual Friendship, Finding Love in the Church as a Celibate Gay Christian, and Washington Waiting, Reflections on Christian Faithfulness. So that's kind of what what it is and who's involved. But what it seems like is that they are, and I know there's been some debate. I haven't really followed it. I don't know if you have, but there's been some debate on, you know, whether we can be a Christian, call ourselves a gay Christian. And so they would embrace the view that, you know, you can be a gay Christian, but they also recognize orthodox historical views on, on marriage and sexuality that marriage is between one man and one woman. And so I think a lot of them promote this idea of being a celibate gay Christian. So they'll still define themselves as gay, but then say, but we are not going to be part of same-sex behavior, even though we have same-sex attraction. So are you familiar Um, with this at all? um, I've heard a little bit. Um, I've heard of a blog. Is that similar? Um, um, It sounds similar to what you're talking about. And I think the reason why I heard about it is because he was interviewed on the podcast and he, he's, he's in that vein of, um, he affirms the historical Christian view of marriage, but recognizes that he is still, um, same sex attracted and has to wrestle with that. So, okay. And one thing that one thing they said in that the pastor also said to me is the gospel offers to the believer with with same sex struggle a vision of flourishing in Christ and as a part of his body in the church. Now, I I'll be honest, it's not something I've studied a lot, but in the little that I've seen, I am personally not quite sure about this. I'm a gay Christian language and you know, I'm not going to get into why actually in detail right now, but I will say one of the concerns I had with the conference and I actually told both Pastor Greg and Nate Collins, who started this, that we were going to that I was going to bring it up on the podcast. But one of my concerns is that there is an emphasis on the gospel. So that's a good thing. Um, but there I started to go through. I haven't gone through all of them yet, but all the speakers of the conference and there's two Catholics. So that that's a concern that I had because. Catholics have a different gospel than Protestants. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of what the Reformation was about. Right. I think sometimes, and I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen sometimes when people have like a pet issue, uh, um, mm-hmm. I sh- should just make something up. Let's, let's just say that m- my my big thing is grace and parenting. I'll just say that because that's something I've talked about um, where someone has an issue that's very, very important to them, where sometimes they'll let other people in you know, that share that same vision, but maybe there's some foundational issues there. So that would be one concern. It's, it's like, um, it's like the abortion issue. Like people partner with Catholics or other people 
that are against abortion, but disagree on very fundamental things. Right. You know, in that example, actually, I spoke with a pastor friend of mine this morning about it. And I actually spoke with two pastor friends of mine this morning just to kind of talk through some of this pastors that I really respect and, and know more about this than I do. And one of them actually talked about that right there. And I would say um, that I think that you can unite with Catholics to fight against abortion, but you can't do, I mean, in certain ways, you work on legislation to abolish abortion, that sort of thing. But you can't unite in the gospel because you have two different gospels. Mm -hmm. And so this, I guess that would be one of my concerns with this. If the gospel is going to be central to what we're doing, can you really navigate that with somebody that has a different gospel that does not believe in justification by faith alone? Yeah, that is, that's a good point. It, it is different than, than the abortion issue for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, to be fair to them, even though in my mind, this gay Christian language I'm uncomfortable with for some theological reasons, I am going to at least, I think one thing I will tell people, like when we discuss baptism and, you know, we've had in the group where somebody will say, well, I don't believe in infant baptism because of sola scriptura. And we're like, wait, 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 we believe in sola <laughs> scriptura too. And I always say, you know, we can disagree, but what I want to encourage you to do is at least understand why we believe what we believe. Yeah. And so out of fairness and respect for these people who've been so I mean, very kind and gracious. Nate said, if you have any more questions, we can even have a phone conversation, Skype, if you want. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just happy to answer any questions. He said he was familiar with our podcast and just very, very kind and gracious. <laughs> and and um, there was a lot of back and forth. And I'm like saying, okay, I had like holistic questions I sent them. And they both were just so gracious in responding, even though I still have some disagreements. But I at least want to take the time to understand why they believe what they do. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, recently, I was trying to understand a theological system in, that I disagree with. And one of my friends said, make sure you go to the source of the people that actually hold that view and understand what they say they believe rather than reading articles from reformed people on what they believe. Even though those are helpful right. too, you want to actually go like, like, let's say it's like dispensational or just, just some other system. Like what do dispensational say they believe, you know, what do, you know, whatever it is, say they believe. Um, and then, and then try to figure it out from there. Yeah. And we, we really did that when we did our, what do they believe series, because we had an Anglican on to talk about what Anglicans believe, a Lutheran on to talk about what Lutherans believe, a dispensationalist on to talk about what dispensationalists believe. And I even think about when my husband was studying paedo-baptism years ago, he went to, he went to a Baptist pastor, actually a few of them, and explained to me why you don't believe in paedo-baptism, why you believe in believer's baptism. He went to, to paedo-baptist, to Reformed and Presbyterian pastors and said, you know, explain to me why you believe what you do about baptism. And mm -hmm. I think it was helpful for him to go to both sides and and for him, he really wanted to grasp both sides as he studied the issue. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great way to approach it. So we're not going to give a lot of commentary on that, but because it was on social media, I just 
I wanted to bring up. And you know what? Let me say this too. If you are somebody out there that has some opinions on this, hey, message us. You know, we, we'd love to hear what you have to say. The one thing I will say, and I've been thinking about as I've been talking to um, Pastor Greg and to Nate is, is are we reaching out to people that do have same-sex attraction? How can we do that? What message should we be giving them? Obviously, the gospel always. Uh, but what about the Christian that's sitting next to us in the pew that that trusts in Christ for their salvation, that, that's not out living in unrepentant sin? Um, how do we navigate that? How do we encourage them? Hmm. Yeah, those and are good I, questions. Sometimes I feel like, especially as I've been raising kids, I'm in my own little bubble. I don't always yeah. notice everything going on um, yeah. outside of outside of my little bubble. But I do want to read, you know, I do have opinions. I do have some disagreements with them, some clear ones. But um, I still am going to take the time to read, you know, both sides of this that I haven't really spent a lot of time on. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So email us at theologygals at gmail.com if you want to input on that subject. Maybe we'll talk about it a little more another time. But we have a topic today that Ashley and I, I don't know, we've probably been saying for a year. Yeah. We need to have an episode on the Sabbath because it comes up periodically in the group. Some mm-hmm. sort of question. We have the dispensationalist. I don't understand. You know, Christ is our Sabbath rest now. Um, we don't need to honor the Sabbath any longer you know, and, and then even the practical, which we're even going to get into some of the practical on, on how we honor the Sabbath and maybe even some practical tips for families. Um, and you know, you are a fairly new Sabbatarian, Ashley. Mm -hmm. Yep. Was there something that convinced you? I mean, cause you, you and I both grew up in, you know, similar circles or you, you and I both came from the same church, prior to becoming reformed, um, even though you went to it when you were a little older, but, and so we probably heard some of those typical arguments against the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Was this a difficult well, thing for you? Uh, well, actually I would say my experience was no one ever talked about it. I had never heard anyone anywhere at any of the churches I'd been in say we should be following the fourth commandment or we should be having, I, I guess I heard people say like, you should take a Sabbath, like, like things like, you know, go to a coffee shop and, you know, take some time to yourself to really focus on the Lord or things like that. But I never heard anyone say like the Lord's day or like, it's kind of crazy that I grew up in the church. Um, and I just never heard that. Um, and, so when I when I went to the started going to a reformed church and it got brought up, I was like dumbfounded. I was like, "Oh, is this is this something we talk about?" Like, <laughs> I, I didn't even know this. People do that. People right. isn't that isn't that like a Jewish thing? I wait. I I I was so lost, and and it kind of it kind of shows how little I understood the law and how the law applied um, to Christians today and. Um, things like that too. Um, but actually, like literally my friend at this reformed church was like, yeah, I think we're supposed to be following the Sabbath. And she explained to me why that Sunday I spoke with one of our elders and that was it. I was like convinced. I, I was just like, yeah, 
why has this been ignored my whole life? You know, so it didn't, it didn't take much convincing for me. I, I, I pretty much saw it right away once I heard about it. Well, and I think for you, especially where everything kind of came, it seems like at least from our conversations that everything kind of came together as you began to understand reform covenant theology, mm-hmm. you know, where, okay, that makes sense based on the things that I've already believed yeah it was like it was like it was like we've talked about calvinism where you like you believe in calvinism and then one day someone says oh yeah that thing you believe it's called calvinism it was like that you're like oh there's a word for it (laughs) right there's a category like yeah i totally did believe that and then someone just put a title to it for me right yeah that that makes sense i know one thing i've thought a lot about since studying the Sabbath and my husband, and I really studied it, um, I guess when our oldest was a baby. So this is like 21 years ago. And one thing is when I was growing up, even though it wasn't talked about, we did in a sense, honor the Sabbath Sunday was for the worship of God. And even, you know, things have changed a lot, but in the seventies, there was still a lot when I was little, very little. Um, there was still a lot of stores that were closed on Sundays, restaurants mm-hmm. closed on Sundays. I remember the grocery store that my mom went to, at least when I was really young, it was closed on Sundays. And so we went to church both morning and evening church always. That's what you mm-hmm. did. And I mean, that I think the church that I grew up in ceased to have an evening service probably as, as when I was a teenager, something like that. I'm probably not remembering correctly. So if you went to Corona EV Free with me and remember that, you can message me. So, But there was a sense where we the Sunday was different. It was for the worship of God. And um, there was at least somewhat of an honoring, but not probably a why or an actual doctrine on the Sabbath. Hmm. Yeah. See, I didn't I didn't really have that experience because church was like something we did. But if I had a race that day, because I, I ran since I was really young, we would miss church to go, you know, to sporting events or it it was just it just to me was the day we happened to all do church was Sunday and it wasn't it wasn't significant any in any other way in my mind as I saw it. Well, it's interesting looking at the the history of our country and even still some parts of the country still have those blue laws where uh, there is no, the business isn't open on Sundays in Colorado. And I think I mentioned this on another podcast, but until very recently, you could not buy alcohol in Colorado on Sundays. And that was a holdover from those Sabbath laws, basically. And to this day in Colorado, you cannot buy a car on on Sundays. I think at no least way. that's still the I think it's still the law unless it changed. I mean, the alcohol thing changed fairly recently. I want to say in the last <laughs> five to seven years. And I remember yeah. my husband was he he had to come home late from work one night and it was like a little bit after midnight and i said hey can you i need a couple things for tomorrow's lunch can you stop by the store and he said sure so he went to the store and he grabbed a six pack of beer and he went up there and they said oh yeah it's after midnight we can't sell that to you and he's mm-hmm. like oh wow i i didn't even remember <laughs> yeah that, that you can't do well, that well 
I live in the wonderful state of California, and I have no such memory of anything <laughs> like that. Um, I remember work, working at Starbucks and someone coming in and there's a grocery store like across the way. And they say, hey, what time does the grocery store stop selling alcohol? And I was like, what? And they're like, what time do they stop selling alcohol? I was like, I don't know when they close. Like, I I literally didn't, I didn't even know that was a thing because I've lived in California for so long. So I was just going to say there's no memory of the Sabbath here. <laughs> I just like to well, make your little state younger. a little bit. Yeah. Because I think even like my parents and my grandparents, I mean, there was a time where nothing was open on Sundays when I was growing up, but some things were open and some things were closed and we would um, sometimes go out for dessert with people after Sunday evening church, but we didn't. I, and I guess maybe we did on Sundays too. So it wasn't a full honoring of the Sabbath, but there at least was a little bit of an idea. But one thing I wanted to direct our listeners to, and I'm going to put this in our episode notes, and that is our episode on the law, because in that episode, we dig a little deeper into why we obey the law specifically the moral law and the the moral law includes the Ten Commandments. And one thing we said on that episode is that the Ten Commandments are divided into the first table of the law and the second table of the law. We have the first table, which um, has to do with us and God. And, um, you know, we've talked about the second commandment on this podcast and the Sabbath is is in that section of the law. And then we have the second table of the law, which um, really points to us and other people. And of course, in the New Testament, that's summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So this is a way that we do love God mm-hmm. in our honoring of the Sabbath. So why do we honor the Sabbath? Well, should we read what the catechism says? What do you think? I think that's a great idea because I I don't think we can sum up as well as the catechism does. So let me start with the Westminster Catechism uh, 57, which says, uh, which is the fourth commandment? And I'm just going to read the first part. The fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. but The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Um, And then it goes on to say, you shouldn't be working basically on that day. Um, I like the last part, though, of question 57, because it says, for in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that in them is and rested in the seventh day. Therefore, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, because I like that it ties the fourth commandment back to creation rather than tying it to Mount Sinai. I mean, it was, you know, written in stone on Mount Mount Sinai, but the Sabbath really comes from creation um, long before that. So I, I like that. And that's, and that's one reason why we believe that we still honor the Sabbath, because it is, it's not a ceremonial or civil law. It is a moral law and it and it goes back to creation. And I'm going to include in the episode notes um, the, what the Westminster standards, both the catechism and confession and and even um, some parts from the three forms of unity on the Sabbath, because there's quite a bit. And I'm going to link a site that actually has the proof text so you can read along 
click on the proof text as you're reading and, and read those verses where we get that from. It's great. I love this one site that does that. It's great when you're studying these topics. That's a good reminder too, that when we, when we go straight to the catechism to answer a question, it's not because we don't see it in scripture or it's, it's just because the catechism summarizes it so well and it has all those proof texts to link back to. So Right, because the catechism is based on scripture. Well, periodically in the group, um, we get what's called Hebrew roots. We'll have somebody who holds to Hebrew roots that will join the group, and they're and um, they don't usually last very long, but because they're they want to promote an unbiblical view of keeping the law. And one of the things they'll say, but the Sabbath is Saturday. So, and that's a a question we get a lot. Why do we worship on Sunday now? Isn't the Sabbath Saturday? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you want to answer why? Why why did it change to Sunday? Well, you know, the catechism kind of briefly briefly does um, answer it. And it says, what day of the seventh? hath God appointed to be the weekly Sabbath. From the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, God appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath and the first day of the week ever since to continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath. And the reason is? That's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's right. And so now instead of the last day of the week, we we celebrate the Lord's Day on the first day of the week. Yeah, and we see that pattern with um, in the New Testament, where that's the day that they were they were meeting. Um, so that's not just something we've pulled out of our hats. <laughs> um, right. There's there's a reason why we why we believe that's the case. Right. We we try not to make stuff up on this podcast. No. Um, <laughs> um, but w- the next question, really, that we need to ask ourselves is what does it mean to honor the Sabbath? Hmm. We, we can figure out what it means to honor our father and mother, but honoring the Sabbath. Um, uh, perhaps uh, question 58 from the catechism, what is required in the fourth commandment? I think uh, the fourth commandment requireth, I love the old English, uh, requireth the keeping holy to God such set times as he hath appointed in his word expressly one whole day and seventh to be a holy Sabbath to himself. And that's actually not, that's not like a lengthy list of, you know, things that you have to do. That's, that's actually kind of broad. Well, the, the confession actually expounds on it a little bit more because it says um, that it's, that is to be kept holy unto the Lord when men, after due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest of that day from their own works. I kind of, I know some of the, some of this in another version and I've got the old English here, so I'm not quoting exactly, but um, so a holy rest all the day from their own works words and thoughts about worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in public and private exercises of his worship and the duties of necessity and mercy. Hmm. That's a really great summary. 
Yeah. And so the Sabbath, according to our confession, you know, says that we set this apart to rest from our worldly employments. Um, some people will say, but what about, you know, if you're a nurse or a doctor or, you know, some sort of emergency worker? And that's why it does say that there are works, du- duties, it actually doesn't say works, duties of necessity and mercy. So there are things which are duties of necessity and mercy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, so that's, that's, that is a really common objection. What if I have to work on, on Sunday? I guess it kind of depends on the type of job um, you have. I mean, I'm very thankful that ER doctors are working on Sunday, (laughs) you know, something were to happen. I'm glad that they're doing their duties of, of mercy on that day. Right. I, I had a baby on a late Friday night. So I was in the hospital um, all day Saturday and most of Sunday. And those nurses were there to take care of me and, and my baby. And I was grateful that they were there. Um, Cause you have a baby when you have a baby. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I'm going to wait until Sunday's over. Baby you know? doesn't care if it's the Lord's day. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I, I have a friend who's a nurse and, you know, sometimes she, it is a work of necessity or duty of necessity and mercy for her to sometimes be at work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. We have some in our congregation, we have cops and nurses and yeah, all sorts of things. One thing you'll find at a lot of, and I hope most confessional reformed churches is that there's a Sunday morning service and a Sunday evening. I think before I became reformed, it almost felt like, well, let me go to Sunday morning service and get it out of the way so I can then do my day. But I love the Sunday morning and the Sunday evening where I'm opening the day with the worship of God, closing the day with the worship of God. It really does feel like it sets it apart. Because even that time in between, um, you know, we love to have people over for lunch or different things. It's instead of like, okay, I'm going to go to Sunday morning church and I'm going to go home and do whatever I want. It it really kind of gives it more of a complete Sabbath feel when you're doing Sunday morning and Sunday evening worship. Yeah. And I, I think it's helpful to look at look at it not as, because people get really defensive when you talk about the Sabbath and it's not something they do. And it's not, this isn't like us waving our fingers at you. Like this is what you, you have to do. It's more of a get to, I think. Um, and it, yes. seeing it, seeing it as like a blessing that God, you know, ordered, ordered the week this way that we can have that day of rest and included in that day is worship and hospitality fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, it that's i mean it's the highlight of my week sundays are because i get to do those things and just set aside everything else um and it it kind of sets the tone i feel like for the rest of your week like you go yes. into you go into monday and you're just refreshed um and ready to like go back into the world and do what whatever it is that you do um so yeah, I, I like you said refreshed, and I, I always 
feel that way. And when we were more newly reformed, attending an OPC outside Chicago, I used to always think about how refreshed I would feel. Um, you know, if I was sick and couldn't make it to church, you know, I just kind of feel like, oh, you know, I miss that mm-hmm. that wonderful blessing of of corporate worship with the body of Christ that yeah. is refreshing, a reminder of the law and the gospel and in the sacraments and such a wonderful thing. Yeah. And I think um like if you're not if you're not following the the Lord's day or observing it, you you end up um like let's say you work a 9 to 5 job Monday through Friday. Saturday and Sunday both become like kind of rest but kind of like chore days, like we need to get things done. And it's, it's almost like a half rest. Like you never actually get a chance to like rest, rest and like reset before the next week. Cause you're kind of mixing rest and, um, work throughout the weekend. At least that's, that was like yeah. a big shift for me. Cause I used to, you know, I would go to church on Sunday, but I would come home and do whatever, you know, like laundry or, um, whatever it was that needed to be done. And so it just wasn't, it wasn't the same as, as setting aside a whole day for the Lord. You just reminded me of something when you talked about laundry, I went to a Wesleyan Arminian holiness Bible college. Okay. So about as far from reformed as you can get, but we were not allowed to do laundry or go shopping, um, on the Lord's day. Wow. Even though I never ever heard like a doctrine of the Lord's Day, but they would say, um, this is the Lord's Day and you they would lock up the laundry room in our dorms. Hmm. And um yeah, anyways, I don't it's kind of funny. I almost want to go back and like reach out to some of my old professors and say, because I didn't pay attention to the why back mm-hmm. then. So why was it that we weren't allowed? I, I'd like to hear the doctrine behind it from a Wesleyan Arminian standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I and I think I think in some ways, like even people in the world, I mean, they're not going to honor the Lord's Day for the Lord, but even like our secular world knows that we need rest. That's why we have like the work weeks the way that we do. Uh, what what country was it in Europe that tried to do like the nine day work week? Did you hear about that? No, I didn't hear about that. Okay, I'm going to look it up. One of the things that when the Sabbath comes up, often in conversations on social media, um, people will often ask, well, what can you do and what can you not do on the Sabbath? And I really don't like looking at it in terms of here's your list of rules, but rather what we should do on the Sabbath. I think that should be a greater emphasis than what we shouldn't do. Yes. Like we oh. said, it's a like it's a get to, not a right. Yeah. It shouldn't feel burdensome. You know, when I was growing up, one thing I did hear about the Sabbath, especially when um for a few years we moved to another state and went to a very dispensational church. One thing I did hear about the Sabbath is that everyone needs a day of rest. And if you can't rest on Sunday, then you need to rest on Monday, where the Sabbath became more about for us and mm-hmm. our physical well-being instead of about the worship of God. Hmm. But we do benefit, though. We've talked about yeah. the benefits that we do, but we need to be mindful that the Sabbath— um 
But a great emphasis of the Sabbath is the corporate worship of God. Yeah, I I have a friend who, when she was growing up, she her family would go to church. They went to a good church, and then they would all come home and take a nap. And that was how they they would all take like a three hour nap. <laughs> and that so was like the, that was yeah that was the Sabbath for them. It was physical rest, not so much spiritual rest. Um, which there's nothing wrong with taking a nap on the Sabbath, but um, she, she said reflecting on it as an adult, like there wasn't like a focus on, you know, spending time with the body or, you know, hospitality or going to evening service or doing things as a family, like family worship um, to honor the Lord on that day. So yeah, I kind of agree with you there that, um, it could be seen as just like a a day to kind of relax, sit around the house, you know, <laughs> um, right. put your feet up and without that spiritual focus, which it's it's supposed to have. Right. Right. And I think that's important to um, remember. Well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but because uh, I mentioned it already in the beginning, but the moral law, we we are still. Um, called to obedience of the moral law. And that's one reason why we believe that we believe the Sabbath is a moral law and that it's from creation. And that's why we, we still honor it. And like I said, I'm going to link our law episode in, in the episode notes, but in the, in the shorter catechism question 41, it says, where, wherein is the moral law summarily comprehended? The moral law is summer comprehended in the Ten Commandments so um, which Jesus repeated in the in the New Testament and we, right. we see new we see no reason we see no reason why that has ended in scripture there was no right. and we no longer you know Jesus never you know said and we no longer do this so that's why we still we still follow the Ten Commandments Um not, not just the not. nine commandments, the, the 10 commandments. Yeah. Um, and not as a way to save ourselves, um, but as just a way that we live in gratitude um, for what Christ has done. Right. And because he is sanctifying us that we desire obedience. And this is one of the ways that we can live in obedience. Well, um, there's been some discussion online and some different places that I've read about the continental view of the Sabbath versus the, some people call it the Westminster or the Puritan view of the Sabbath. And so you may hear that. I don't hear a lot of it in a lot of discussions about it in real life, Mm. but I see sometimes, sometimes um, people uh, will talk about it online. And so basically one side, the, the Westminster Puritan view, argues against the acceptability of recreation on the Sabbath. So these two views basically center around whether or not recreation is permissible on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's all these rumors about, like, did Calvin allow for recreation or did he not? And from what I understand, he did not. Um uh, but yeah, I, I've heard that only because I know like R.C. Sproul, Ligonier, 
would hold to more of the continental view and um, as opposed to the Westminster Puritan view, but we might need to flesh that out a little more what we mean by those two words. Yeah. So the continental view um, would say that recreation is an acceptable um, thing to do as part of our Sabbath keeping. Right. So playing games and, and things like that. Right. Recreation. Okay. And, and I, I think there's a broad interpretation of what recreation could mean, um, depending on who you ask. But um, the Westminster view is that recreation is not allowable on the Sabbath. Right. Yeah. I mean, my pastor told me within our presbytery, there are pastors who would agree with the Westminster and disagree just slightly because no one is saying we shouldn't honor the Sabbath. That would not be okay. Like a, you couldn't be a pastor in the PCA um, or OPC and hold that view that the Sabbath no longer applies or, you know, but you, um, you do have to see that it is something that applies but how it applies, I guess, is where people differ in the Reformed world. Right. I think that's a good a good way to describe it, Ashley. And where the difference lies is how how it applies. You know, what does it look like to honor the Sabbath? Right. Yeah. Should we talk about like what what that might look like? Like if you hold to yeah. either of those views. So. I think that sometimes on a practical level, this is going to change depending on your family situation. So if you're a mom of, you know, three littles, it, it may be different than the couple that are empty nesters. But we, when our kids were little, we really put some practical things in, in place. I read a book about the Sabbath and I could not tell you the name of it. And this is years ago, and it talked about preparing for the Sabbath and the and the cate- the confession or catechism uses that language too. And so I would try to do what I could before Sunday so that even my work as a wife and mom was less. So things things that I really and I'll speak specifically when I have had younger kids because I think that's who uh, we're going to be talking to a lot of you out there. Because by a recent discussion in the group, a lot of people said it's so hard because I've got, you know, little, I have a baby and a two-year-old or, you know, I have several little kids. So on, on a practical level, I'll just talk practically speaking for a minute. One thing I would do is make a breakfast casserole on Saturday night. And I had a, I actually had kind of a routine that I followed. Um, on Saturday, I would lay out everybody's clothes in their room, have them ironed and laid out make sure the kids have their baths on Saturday night. And I would make a breakfast casserole for Sunday morning. And I would make as much of the lunch ahead of time that I was able to. And that's one reason is because we did, you know, even when the kids were little, we would have people over to our house after church. So then what I would do is I would wake, I'll just tell you what my routine was when my children were young. I would wake up in the morning And I would throw the casserole into the oven because it takes about an hour to cook. And then I would start to get ready, wake up the kids, get them ready. By the time everyone was ready to go and we could sit down and eat breakfast and it was very easy. You know, you can even do something 
you know, you can even use paper plates if that makes it easier for you. Get some inexpensive paper plates you keep around for Sunday mornings. And the other thing is, is that our church started 11 o'clock and we lived a half an hour away. So by the time church was over and we got home, you know, the kids were starving. So I like to give a little heartier breakfast than I might uh, on a weekday because I knew it was going to be longer before they'd have a full meal, though they'd get some snacks at coffee hour after church. So I would uh, do all that. And then I know a lot of people are overwhelmed by the thought of having people over for Sunday lunch. I have like five different things I make and that's it for Sunday lunch. It's just my things that I make. It's either a a pot roast or a a small turkey or bone and turkey breast, lasagna, you know, the things like that where I could either throw it in the crock pot, I could make it ahead of time and throw it into the oven and, you know, side dishes and whatnot. And and I would make sure that my house was completely clean on Saturday nights. But I think if you do a lot of things to prepare, and I, it made my Sundays so restful. I mean, just in even in worship, but also just on a practical level, because I wasn't coming home to a messy house or having to, you know, start lunch from scratch. Usually I'd plan it so that the lunch would be ready around when we got home from from church. And you can do things like this. It does take time, though, to kind of figure out what works for you and your family. But I would encourage those of you with littles, even those of you that don't have littles, to to take some time on Saturday and prepare some of those things on Saturday so that you have less on your plate on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And it just requires you to like organize better. Whereas I didn't used to think that much about when I did laundry or other just things I needed to do, but you have to like orient your week towards Sunday, which honestly is like really great too, because as you're doing laundry on Friday night, you're thinking I'm doing this because like Sunday is, it's like the pinnacle of the week and I I'm getting ready for, for Sunday. And it just, it just puts Sunday in that place of importance that it, that it should be. Right. Well, think about how many things in life that we we don't think twice about preparing for. Mm-hmm. You know, if if I have a wedding to go to next Saturday or whatever, I might do things throughout and I've got young kids, I might do things throughout the week that I that I prepare for it. If you have a meeting, you're going to spend time preparing for it. So even more so should we prepare for the Sabbath. Right. Yeah, and one of the things it's done for me too is I mean just in, just all the practical things about the Lord's day, but also it's really helped me put the worship of God ahead of everything else as just the most important thing. And so even like, I remember I used, we used to go on vacation. We would never go to church on vacation because you're on vacation. And now, you know, like when we go on vacation, we're like, okay, let's, Let's look at, is there any OPC or PCA churches in the area? And let's figure out where we're going to go Sunday morning. Like, it's just, I don't know. The the worship of God has become more and more important as I've been more convicted about the Lord's Day. It's a priority for you mm-hmm. now. And we we travel a lot. 
I've traveled a lot through the years. My, my husband works for United Airlines, so we'll fly places. We have a motorhome, so we drive places. We love looking up churches wherever we're going to be and visiting them. And, you know, like two summers ago, we were in near Philadelphia staying, and I I knew a PCA pastor's wife that I'd become friends with on Facebook. And so we went and, and we worshiped with them, and they happened to have a potluck that day after church. So we had the potluck and then the pastor and his wife invited us over to their home after church. So we fellowshiped with them and had dinner with them. And so it was, it was, it was just so wonderful. We've just met some really wonderful brothers and sisters as we visited some different churches on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, so much hospitality, I feel like in the, the Presbyterian world, I love it. I mean, I'm sure it's in other churches too. I just, that's something I've noticed. Um, when we go visit our old church in Monterey, it's almost like we feel like we're going home, you know, like everyone remembers and is really excited and invites us over and it's really cool. And I just want to say a quick thing about hospitality. I It seems that I think hospitality is scary for a lot of people. And I, I completely understand that. I was talking to one person and they're just overwhelmed at the thought of having several people over for a meal. And I said, well, why don't you start small? Have have people over for dessert on a Friday night, you know, yeah. something. And and you'll slowly, slowly grow in being able to organize your time well and prepare for the Sabbath. But I, don't, I think a lot of people, they, they go to church on Sunday morning, say their highs, you know, then they all leave and there's not a lot of community and spending time with one another besides Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just have doing hospitality kind of knits your hearts together um, more. And especially like if you're trying to get to know someone at church who isn't in your immediate like group, like, you know, if you're like a young married and you're trying to get to know like a widow in your church, like hospitality is like a great way to invite them over, you know? Yeah. You get to know, you really get to know people when you have them sitting at your dining room table over a meal. So one of the, one of the things Ashley and I've heard a lot is people will use Colossians 2 16 that, that says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Doesn't that mean, you know, we shouldn't be judging other people. They need to just do what what's what's good for them. Well, I you know, I I just think that verse is really taken out of context. It's it's not really talking about the Lord's day or um fourth commandment. It's talking about festival days. Yeah, how it says in questions of food and drink um, with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath or a Sabbath. Um, And it's referring to, you know, the the festival days and the the I think the ceremonial aspects of the law. Right. Right. And I think that's why they try to tie the Sabbath into that. Sabbath Mm -hmm. was more of a ceremonial um, fits right. under the ceremonial law. Well, I guess dispensationalists don't actually split the law up in the same way that we do, but essentially mm-hmm. that's why they don't believe that we are 
to honor the Sabbath? So we're not talking about festival days um, that they used to have. Um, We're talking about the Lord's Day, which was established at creation. And nowhere in scripture is it ended. You know, you no longer need to follow the Sabbath. And so I think the burden of proof is on the person who wants to say that it is no longer because they need to show clearly not in like a vague, not a, I'm not saying that verse is vague, but it's, it's not directly related to the Sabbath, the Lord's day. They need to show clearly where someone authoritatively has said that we no longer have to follow the Sabbath because what we do see is Jesus saying, um, Uh, the Sabbath is for man and we see him, you know, summarizing the moral law, love the Lord, your God. Um, We just don't see a clear, you know, you're still supposed to follow nine commandments, but, but not this one. Um, Right. We don't don't see that in scripture. And so the burden of proof is on the person who thinks that's the case to show that. And I, I've just never, I've never read or seen anything that's, um, been at all convincing on on that part? Have you, Colleen? No, it, I I have not. And you know, my husband and I did study it in detail. We we happened to um, be at a church when we were studying it, and the pastor preached through the Ten Commandments. And I think he spent four days on the Sabbath, and it was actually that sermon series which convinced my husband. Hmm. Man, I wish you had like a link to that, but that was like several years ago, huh? Yeah, that would be 1996, no, 1997. And it's kind of a funny story because I had, I told my husband, I will move anywhere but Denver. I do not like Denver. (laughs) And he was starting to feel convicted over the Sabbath and thinking I need to transfer to somewhere that um, I can get Sundays off. And Denver was the only place that he could do that. And our last Sunday at the OPC we were at outside Chicago was his last sermon on the Sabbath. So we Hmm. thought that was kind of, kind of neat, but that my husband's already leaning that way and originally put in the transfer so that, that he could, um, be off on Sundays and at home with his family. But that sermon series is what, what ended up convincing him of the Sabbath. And I'm going to put a lot of, a lot of resources in this episode about why we believe that the Sabbath is, um, that we are still called to honor the Sabbath and, and some other resources just on the Sabbath in general. And I think there might be a good book or two out there. I'll look into that. If I can find one, I will, I will link that. I know Joseph Piper has one. Mm-hmm. I haven't read it though. My husband did. did I read, read uh, I read Walter Chantry's uh, calling the Sabbath a delight um, about two years ago when I was first introduced to this idea. I wanted to hear it from the source. Okay. Why do people believe, you know, we should, all the Sabbath and found that to be very helpful. So, and I, I also think that honoring the Sabbath can be a great 
witness to those around you. I mean, you don't want to throw it in people's face like, you know, no, we can't go to your thing because it's Sunday and we'll be at church and you should be too. <laughs> um, right. But just the subtle, like, you know, one thing that's helped me is if I get invited to something that's um, a distraction from the Lord's Day, I'll go, oh, could we do it Saturday? Could we do it Friday? And just making it clear that like, you know, Sunday, Sunday's not a day that we compromise on. Like right. we're not gonna we're not gonna leave church early to go, you know, to this thing or whatever. Like it um I I think making that firm commitment and it as long as you handle it with grace when you talk to people, not you know, rudely, I think that'll cause people to kind of go, oh, geez, like that's really important to them, you know. Or right. At least, at least, I I think it's a good witness, you know, to not compromise on it. Well, and I think also for unbelievers to see that you take the worship of God very serious. Yeah, and it, and if they ask you, you can answer that just that. Like worshiping God is just our number one priority. Um, that's I mean that's very uh, countercultural, right? I mean, right. Our 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 culture has whole, you know, Sunday night football, like, like all these things on Sundays now, you know, we didn't right, like 50 years ago, but we do now. And so Super Bowl and, you know, all that and all these, all these things entertainment wise on Sunday that you could be doing instead of being at church. Um, so yeah, no. And for, for those of you that this is a new idea, for you, I would just recommend that you study it. And even if you disagree with Sabbatarianism, I will still encourage you to be sure to understand why it is that we believe what we do about the Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're sure, you know, if you're going to land on the side of, I don't think this is something we have to do, make, make sure you're sure <laughs> about right. that. Cause otherwise you're not following God's law and that's that's not good. So um talk with your pastor about it. I guess only if he's a Sabbatarian. Only no, yeah. <laughs> don't talk with your dispensational. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but at least understand both sides. That that would be what we'd encourage and check out some of our our resources. I can um, understand why people people react the way they do to it because it to to change it's a lifestyle change to orient your week that way and right. stop doing things on Sundays that you've been doing your whole life on Sundays like that's a huge change but you know we're really convicted that following following the fourth commandment it's like that important and that's what we believe it entails so right um, just like following the rest of the commandments yeah. and and you know what you're going to fail and you're not going to honor the sabbath perfectly and and that's why it's important to remember the gospel and what christ has done for us in obeying the law perfectly for us and dying on the cross for our sins and and raising again so always be mindful of the gospel mm-hmm. well i think we'll move on to our yeah, about that. And this is more of just a funny one. And uh, and I'll have to give credit to Angela, who's going to be filling in for you while you're on maternity leave. She's the best. 
Yeah. Yes. We, I think everyone's going to really enjoy, enjoy her. And, but we'll miss Ashley too. Well, I guess she saw this. She took a picture of it because she saw it hanging on some bulletin board. I'm not sure where it was at the grocery store or something like that. And it's the name of a church. And it's just kind of like you almost read it and say, is this satire? But it's called the Prophetic Royal Coat of Arms Ministry, the Reformed Pentecostal Anglo-Saxon and Royal Empire of <laughs> Royal Empire of the Kingdom of God denomination. That's the whole theme. That's <laughs> how many words was that's crazy. I guess may, is that, it must be the denominational name. I don't know if it's denominational, but in, in case you missed it, the Prophetic Royal Coat of Arms Ministry, the Reformed Pentecostal Anglo-Saxon and Royal Empire of the Kingdom of God denomination. Now, now you have to repeat it back. <laughs> so there is so much there I want to talk about. The first one is Reformed Pentecostal. What is going on there? Reformed Pentecostal. <laughs> That must not mean the reform that we think it they're referring to. Right. Because <laughs> there's no such thing as a reformed Pentecostal. Um, Anglo-Saxon? That's <laughs> not a word. They That's like exclusionary. Like <laughs> This is gee, not politically correct. No. And it's royal? Is this, is this British? Do yeah. you know? Is it a British? They're just talking British? about the royal priesthood. Coda- Coat of arms. That's. It sounds very. It sounds like a British thing. But the prophetic royal coat uh, of arms. Prophetic. Well, it's prophetic and Pentecostal. Yeah, that that makes sense. Those go together. But Anglo-Saxon. That would be the first word I would cut from there. <laughs> we do not need one of those in your denominational title. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh man, horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to it because it's kind of, I don't know if we should laugh or cry. Yeah. There's just so much going on there. Like, it's like they, they were trying to narrow it down. Like, what are we about? You know? And they just couldn't agree. Like, it was like a 10-person committee and like all 10 had their own <laughs> their own version. So they're like, you know what? Let's just put it all together. <laughs> that's right. Let's just put it all together and that's what we're we'll be called. And Well, they do worship cool. on Sunday. Okay. Yeah, I think most Pentecostals do, right? Yeah. I just yeah, don't know I about Royal Royal Coat of Arms. So even even in the description below it even has interesting things like Knight of the Sacred and Military Order of Merits. <laughs> Are you sure this isn't like the the Freemasons or something or like this you know sounds what? very like Freemason like I haven't I don't see a website here that that now there is an email I could email them and and ask for more information Yeah there's no website Um no just an email and it does say go to YouTube and type in my name dash and download and get all the free sermons you want. Hmm. Okay. I might do that. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> do I just write my name? <laughs> I'm very curious here. 
I'm yeah. still I'm still hung up on the Anglo-Saxon part. Why would they do that? <laughs> Why would they? Yeah. Yes, does not sound very um, PC. No. For sure. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Theology Gals. Definitely check out our episode notes because I'm going to put quite a few links in there about the Sabbath. If you would like to study it in more depth, I especially would encourage you to look at the Catechism and Confession with the proof text because I think it can be very helpful in a study of the Sabbath. Just going through all of the verses, since it is based on Scripture, what the Catechism and Confessions state, um, you can go through all of the verses to see why we believe what we believe based on Scripture. About the Sabbath. So um, definitely check those out. And you can also find episodes. Someone emailed me this week, like, where's the episode notes from such and such um, podcast? Because in the beginning, I didn't have them on the website. But any episode, they are um, in our, in our, on the webpage in the episode notes. I did want to mention one thing. Um, I discovered this week, I was looking for our episode on the law. And it was just not there. When I transferred over to the new site from Bible Thumping Wingnut, I think it just somehow didn't transfer. And so I relisted it. And I had a couple of people saying, are you doing two podcasts a week? And I was like, no, 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 no. I just had to relist that. And so it probably came up on some of your feeds and you're maybe even started to listen and thought, wait, I think I've heard this before. (laughs) So that's what happened. Why? Um, why that happened. I just wanted it to still be available for anyone who wanted to go back and listen to it, especially because of this week. And I'm going to link that episode because I think you need to start with understanding the law and how the law is split up in order to understand what we believe about the Sabbath. Yeah, it's really essential to understanding. Um, Understanding. And also, that's that's like one of my favorite episodes that we've done. I, I just think it was really good. Tooting our horn, I know, but I really enjoyed right, that here. one. Ashley's like, I, I really said some good points on that <laughs> one. No, she's not really saying that. I'm just so um, wise. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a fun, it was, it was a fun discussion. But, and it's, it's just like with when someone will come and say, so tell me why you believe in pedo baptism. And I say, well, first you got to step back and understand covenant theology before you can understand why we believe in paedo-baptism. And I think it's the same way. You can't just jump in and say, I'm going to study what the Sabbath is all about. You need to understand the law. You need to understand the moral law and why we believe that um, we are still to obey the moral law. So check out that episode if you haven't listened to it before. And there's also some links in that episode about the law and why we believe what we do about that. The other thing is we... Um, I know that I've been saying forever that we're going to have a new website, but that is finally going to be set up pretty soon. I'm having somebody else help me and just things haven't gotten done as quickly as I would have hoped. But if you would like to support Theology Gals, there's a link in the episode notes to our Patreon. And and you can even go to Patreon and look up Theology Gals. But we do appreciate everyone joining us. And Ashley, we will see you again. I don't know when. But really excited about about meeting your your little boy mm-hmm. when he's yep. born. You're you're one of those people who hasn't told everybody what no. the name is. Not even me. I don't know no. what the baby's name. And that's that's what we always did. To be people would say, "What are you going to name the baby?" And I'd say, "Well, you'll find out when we have the baby." So yeah. I, I like finding out after the baby is born. And um, we will 
let you know when Ashley has her baby. Mm-hmm. So if you ha- do have any um, comments about the Revoice conference I talked about in the beginning, email <laughs> us at theologygals at g- gmail.com. We can try to respond to some of those. So, well, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week. <laughs>